Hi everyone, my name is Aaron, and I am an alcoholic. I'm Aaron. And I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Paul, for asking me to come. Um, anytime I have an opportunity to do service in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, <clears throat> although I don't know that you'll find it in the book, you hear people say you can't say no in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think that's in the book, but I usually don't say no when I'm asked to, uh, it's, um, to do service work in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm, I'm really glad to be here. And a um, little bit about me. Uh, my sobriety date is June 12th of 2010, so next month it'll be eight years for me of continuous sobriety. Um, thank you. Um, my home group is the Down Under Group in Goodyear, and my sponsor calls himself Fitz. His name is John calls himself Fitz. Uh, his home group is the uh, Goodale Avenue, the Goodale Men's Group, I think it's called, <clears throat> Sunday mornings, uh, now at the West Valley Fellowship. Um, I'm originally from uh, New York City, um, lived a lot of places, um, <clears throat> and although uh, I'm coming up on eight years, uh, it I did not stay sober from the very beginning of coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, made my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous back in 19, it was the summer of 1988. And um, I was 20 years old and life was definitely unmanageable uh, for me at that time, although I wasn't convinced that um, that I had a problem. I was forced into a rehab and then told to go to AA meetings and um, I was forced by the army to go into a rehab. Um, and so I walked into my first AA meeting and it was, you know, I was in a church and it was in a room kind of like this and there were about five or six uh, older white gentlemen there and um, I just could not, I refused to identify with them. I walked in that room and compared myself to them. Here I am, 20-year-old black dude from, actually from Harlem, New York City. Uh, I, I'm thinking to myself, what do these guys know about me? You know, they got nothing, in, I got nothing in common with these people. And uh, so I didn't go back for a while. And... Um, you know, I wish I could say that uh, my drinking and, and using career uh, got better, <laughs> but, you know, if I'm here, we know it didn't. <laughs> uh, it certainly did not get better. In fact, uh, for the next 22 years after that, um, I bounced in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, a couple of other, <clears throat> other fellowships, um, a lot of rehabs and uh, detoxes, and a couple of uh, overnight jail stays, and a uh, few halfway houses, and just a lot of, uh, a lot of institutions. Um, and lost a lot of things along the way. And, you know, it, it talks about in our literature, in the 12 and 12, it talks about um, even like the famous last gaspers sometimes don't get it. Um, 
there, there was a period for me where um, as things were getting worse in my, in my drinking experience, um, I, you know, I just began to feel like I was never going to get sober. You know, I just began to think that, uh, that there's, there's nothing out there that's going to make me make a decision that I want to work this program. Um, couldn't make the excuse that I didn't know how to get sober. Um, I could say the day that I didn't know how to stay sober, and that was part of my problem, um, because I would, I would go into an institution and do whatever time I was supposed to do there and come out, and, and uh, I, knew, I knew too much, you know, I knew too much. And so I didn't take suggestions. Um, you know, I would go to a lot of meetings, but meetings alone have never kept me sober. Um, in fact, I've gotten drunk right after meetings many a times. Um, I would get a sponsor, wouldn't use that sponsor. Or if I did use that sponsor, I'd use them more like a or try to use them more like a psychotherapist than just a guide through the steps. Um, you know, I've learned today through sponsoring people that I'm not your therapist, <laughs> you know. Um, there's a lot of experience that I don't have and a lot of things that I really shouldn't be giving people advice on. Um, but the program, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> my experience with alcoholism and my experience in recovery, I can give that. I can give that. And uh, so I've learned today that that's, <clears throat> that's what a sponsor does. Although I didn't use a sponsor for that back then. Um, so we kind of like take suggestions, but not, I guess. Um, so let me, let me back up. Let me back up. <clears throat> I don't remember how old I was when I had my first drink. I just remember that I was less than 10 years old, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I began drinking like regularly at that age. That would be ridiculous for me. Maybe somebody did that, but I didn't. Um, my mother was an alcoholic. <clears throat> my father was an alcoholic. My brother was an alcoholic, and I say was because all three of them, have, they're dead today. Um, my grandmother was not. Um, my grandfather was. Um, so there's, you know, there's a long history of alcoholism in my family. And uh, so it was readily available in my household growing up. Um, there wasn't much supervision. Um, you know, if there was, it was uh, during those times when my, my mom or my brother would try to clean their act up, and then all of a sudden they want to control everything in the house and get everything right, and then they'd go back to drinking and, you know, chaos would, you know. And oddly enough, I did the same thing in my life, you know, go figure. Um, anyway, it was readily available, and my mother used to throw these parties where, uh, you know, big whoopee parties. Everybody's getting stoned, and, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on, and, uh, of course, there would be half-drunken cups laying around. And uh, I just remember at some point I decided that I just wanted to know what that was like. And, um, I, again, I don't remember the exact age I was, but I do remember the, uh, 
the effect I got from that first drink. I remember taking that drink and I remember feeling that burn go down in my chest and I remember just my whole body getting warm and I remember it going all the way to my feet, you know. And I remember feeling like this is the best thing I've ever experienced, you know, ever in my life. And um, I can honestly say that the rest of my drinking career uh, <clears throat> in some form or fashion was, was about trying to get that same sense of ease and comfort that I got from that very first drink. Never quite able to attain it. Um, got close many a times. Uh, maybe I couldn't attain it because I would pass out before I get there, or maybe I couldn't attain it because I'd get taken to the drunk tank before I got there, or something else would stop me from drinking that particular day. There's also drugs in my story, and I'm going to try not to get into that because this is Alcoholics Anonymous, but just know that there was lots of stuff going on when it came to uh, uh, trying to chase that sense of ease and comfort. Um, I think I, I began drinking alcoholically somewhere in my late teens. Um, the first attempt at trying to control my drinking was when I joined the Army. Um, I, pretty much, I pretty much didn't have a choice um, turned 18 um, by that time my grandmother was the one that was kind of raising me and um, I turned 18 and, and on my 18th birthday she congratulated me you're 18 now, you're a man where the hell are you going to live? because <laughs> um, she was tired of my crap by then you know, she was tired of it uh, I remember arguing with her, as many teenagers do. I can't wait till I'm grown and I can do what I want and all that stuff. And uh, so she she called you know she called me on that one. You're, you're 18. You got like three months to figure out what you're gonna do. So I went and saw the recruiter, and um, at the same time, I knew that I was I was drinking and partying way too much, and I needed to do something about that. So I figured okay, I can kill two birds with one stone. I'll, I'll get out of here because obviously this environment that I'm living in is, is the problem, right? I'll get out of here, join the Army, I'll go see the world, and, uh, and it'll give me a place to stay, and, and I'll get a trade and all that stuff. Well, the only thing that, that, that joining the Army actually did for me is it did give me a trade. I, when I finally got out of the Army, without an honorable discharge because of my drinking. Um, not, a, not a dishonorable, but it was less than honorable. Um, I did have a trade, and it's what I do today. I was able to get out and find a really good job with the phone company and been with them ever since, back since 1990. Um, but uh, that, was, that was my first attempt of trying to control my drinking by... Uh, a, doing like a geographical change, and, and B, trying to deal with problems that are outside of me and, and not understanding that the problem is me, um, and that's what I really need to deal with. Um, I've done a lot of geographical changes over the years, 
And uh, the, the funny thing about that is wherever I go, there I am, you know. And so it doesn't take long for me to figure out, you know, where I can find the good stuff that I'm looking for. It doesn't take long for me to fall into the crowd of people that I'm most comfortable with. Um, and, and it certainly doesn't take long for me to make a mess of things in my life. Um, I'm on my third marriage. Um, somehow, uh, this wife and I have been together now for 18 years. Somehow, uh, that woman must really love me, and God bless her. Uh, because uh, I don't think that I would put up with my crap for 18 years. And that's, that's drunk and sober. Because there's been times in my sobriety where I have been worse, more controlling and, and resentful and, and um, just flat out nasty at times. In sobriety, you know, worse than I was when I was drinking. Um, there's, there's, there, my wife has said to me, she hasn't said I wish you'd go back to drinking because we got along better. But she has definitely said to me in the past things like, um, you know, <clears throat> At least when you were drunk, you would pass out before we fought. You know, stuff like that. You know. um, <clears throat> I've lost, so, so I, got, I got three wives. I have uh, children with, with each marriage. Um, uh, I have five boys all together. My oldest is actually my stepson with my current wife. Um, my second oldest is my firstborn child, if that makes sense. Um, he and I have no contact whatsoever, uh, nor do I have contact with his mother. Um, my second wife, I have two children with her. Um, we we kind of have some contact, but it's more of um, when they need something, and you know, <clears throat> they're they're uh, <clears throat> they're uh, 23 and 22 this year, and so. Um, like the last conversation I had with the 22-year-old was, uh, I got this car that I, I need to pay off in order to move. Can you give me $5,000 to pay it off? You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, even, and this is even after doing amends. And so, you know, what I'm getting at there is, is that just because we worked the program and we changed, and I know that I have changed, you know, definitely have had a psychic change. Um, doesn't mean that the people that love us or we love are going to still want to have a good relationship with us. And it doesn't matter. You know? it, it doesn't feel good, but it still doesn't matter because Aaron is going to stay sober and Aaron's going to work this program regardless. Um, because at, at a certain point in my life, I finally got to that jumping off place where... I had to make a decision. I was either going to go on like I was and die miserably after a long time of suffering probably, or I was going uh, to start doing what you people told me to do. Thank God I made that choice um, and, and continue to make that choice today. So, so back to, to the, the loss. Um, so I got... Uh, Five kids, one of them I don't see, two of them don't see them. When I talk to them, it's only because they need something. And then the other two, the, the oldest, the stepson, 
and the youngest uh, are, are here in, in Arizona. Um, we get along pretty good, but even um, those relationships are strained, and, and that's still after being sober eight years. Um, I've lost uh, homes. I've lost... The, the only thing I didn't lose, I think, through my, my uh, drugging, drinking and drugging experience was my job. Um, and I think the only reason that I've been able to keep my job for as long as I have is because it's union. And um, I learned how to play that game where I could just run to the union when I was about to get in trouble and have them save me, you know, which is probably one of the reasons why I went into rehab so many times over the years. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because on the job today, I see people doing the same thing. And I want so badly to go to them and, like, just go, dude. But I can't. I can't do that. That doesn't work with alcoholics, right? It does not work with us. We don't change until we're ready to change. We don't accept help until we're ready to accept help. And it doesn't matter what people said to me. You know, how many times did my wives tell me, um, if you loved me, you know, you'd do better. You know, do it for your kids. You know, uh, you don't want to lose that great job. You know, we're going to lose our house. It didn't, it doesn't matter. You know? When we're ready, and it's, I think it's different for each one of us, then we're ready. And then we, we surrender. Um, one of the things uh, I did um, to try to control my drinking was I got in, I got super religious at one time. Um, back in, let me think now. It was like around 91, 92. No, I'm sorry. It was 01, 02. Um, <clears throat> uh, started going to church and um, stopped Stopped trying to go to meetings to, to, to stay sober. Figured that I was just going to do the religious route because, you know, quite frankly, AA and all that stuff, it didn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. So I started doing a religious route. And, um, I, you know, I'm as good a, an alcoholic as anyone, you know. Uh, we don't do anything halfway, <laughs> you know. So I get into uh, going to church, and uh, I start going to school, and I start uh, serving in the church, and the next thing you know, I'm licensed as a minister, and the next thing you know, I'm ordained, and now I'm pastoring a church. Small church, just like this one. And uh, I did all of that within like five years of joining this church. Uh, became a pastor. I was on the radio and all of that stuff here in Phoenix and known quite well in some of those circles. Um, and, uh, you know, there's one thing I will say about uh, those ministry circles, um, and, and, and I'm certainly one of them. Uh, those, those guys are human, and they're just as low down and dirty as the rest of us. <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, sometimes worse. And, and, and maybe it's, it's worse 
for people in ministry because there's that sense of pride and shame and letting people know that you're, you're human and you have faults. And so they kind of like have no one to talk to and they, at times and uh, end up just going around in circles. And that's certainly kind of what happened to me. Um, when I joined the ministry, I, I was able to stay sober for about a year. And then at a family barbecue, someone offered me a beer, and having no program, what to speak of, um, had no defense, uh, even though I'm a minister, supposedly a man of God, I really had no real understanding and relationship with a God of my understanding at that point. Um, I, could, I, could, I could preach at you and teach you what it says in the Bible, and I could do it in a way that got you all fired up, because the church I went to was very charismatic and very fire and brimstone, and we like to dance and shout. And, and so I was real good at putting on a show and getting them all greased up and rolling in the aisles and speaking in tongues and all that stuff. And, and would love them coming up to me after the service. Oh, Pastor Stoll, you did such a wonderful job. Thank you, very thank you, but bless you, bless you, thank you, you know. All that love, ate that up, ate that up, big ego. Um, but really had no understanding. And uh, funny thing, uh, there was an, an older gentleman, he was, he was one of the deacons in our church, last name War, Warfield. He came up to me after one service, and um, I, had, I, I thought I did like an awesome job. I thought I gave like this awesome sermon, and by all accounts from what I was seeing from the crowd, I did. And uh, he comes up to me after the service, Brother Warfield, you know, what would you think of that? And he says, young man, you got a lot of knowledge, but you lack wisdom. And then he walked away. It's like he dropped the mic, boom, and then he walked away. Instant resentment. That went on my four-step list, right? Um, ended up having to make amends to that guy uh, when I did my ninth step. But, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it was like he actually saw the truth about what was going on with me inside. Um, and, uh, you know, there was probably a lot of uh, situations and things like that where people actually saw the truth and, and, and came and told me what they saw about me, but I just was not able to, to see nor hear or accept it. Um, and instead I would get resentment and want to get you back. And uh, I certainly hated that man for a little while. Um, so anyway, family barbecue, somebody offers me a beer, and uh, I think, no problem, it won't hurt. In fact, um, at that time in my life, I thought that some of the other drugs that I was into were the problem. And so I really didn't see a problem with eventually having a drink. I figured I could control it. And you know what? I had that drink. And it was okay for that time. And slowly, over the course of time, it began to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, at the end of my drinking career, I found myself on Saturday nights halfway into a half a gallon of rum, writing sermons, and then getting up on Sunday morning and 
throwing down like I thought I did, you know. Still drunk. Didn't feel drunk, but, you know, stuff stays in our system for quite a little while. And uh, <clears throat> being on the radio, drunk, uh, giving people uh, spiritual guidance in their life, drunk. And, uh, you know, I knew, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Um, but I was too proud and I was too ashamed. And I knew where to go for help. I knew I needed to go to AA. Um, but I was too proud and I was too ashamed to walk into these rooms and let anybody know that Pastor Aaron Stowe can't, is an alcoholic. You know, um, that was just unacceptable to me. And <clears throat> so, in the end, um, I found myself completely isolated from connections with people. I still had things, you know. By that time, I had kind of learned to manage the unmanageability as far as the outside things. So like I said, I was able to keep my job all of this time. Um, able not to lose my house this time. Uh, somehow able to stay married. Um, money in the bank, cars, all of that stuff. All those external things. But inside, I was so rotten and, and completely isolated um, numb most of the time and uh, my daily routine would consist of uh, coming to at maybe 3-4 in the morning and finishing whatever was left in the cup from the night before going back to bed, getting up at 6am going to work all day uh, restless, irritable discontent, all I could think about was when I would get off of work Whatever time it may be, and my job sometimes requires me to work long hours. Um, <clears throat> never actually drank on duty, um, technically, but I'm on call a lot. So <laughs> I might start drinking Saturday morning and then get called in at 10. But I didn't drink while I was on the clock. Okay? But I'm still drunk, driving around a big utility truck, which is a weapon, um, and, and all of that. Uh, Anyway, restless, irritable, discontent, um, rushing home to, to get drunk again or start my drinking. Because actually, I don't think I ever sat down with the intention of getting, like, stupid drunk. I, don't think I, I think I just wanted to just, you know, just going to have a couple of drinks and take the edge off. And next thing you know, I'm passing out. And that was, that was pretty much every night in the end. And um, so... Here's what happened. Um, I got I got to that point, to that jumping off point, and and I knew that um, I knew I needed to make a choice. I, I was either going to keep on going as I was going, or or I was going to die uh, miserably. And um, I ended up calling a friend, and uh, a friend in the ministry circles. And uh, asked him to, to help me get into a rehab again. And uh, so he got me into this place called Calvary. It's a Christian-based rehab downtown Phoenix. Um, 
I'm not going to say that that place made the difference because I think that that when we're ready, it doesn't matter where we go. We can either walk, we can walk right into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and get and stay sober. Although we might want to go see a doctor and and you know because detoxing from alcohol could be lethal. Um, so anyway, he got me to to get into this place, and uh, it was a Friday. It was it was June 11th of 2010, Friday, and get in there and I sleep it off. And come to Saturday morning and, and kind of just eat and sleep the whole day Saturday. And then now, now Sunday morning, uh, they make this announcement that anyone that wants to go to church, line up at the front door. Okay, I want to go to church. So I line up, and they get to me, and they say, Mr. Stowe, you're still detoxing. You cannot leave the unit. If you leave, you can't come back. AMA, your insurance won't pay. And we are not responsible for what happens to you. Well, I didn't want to hear that. I'm arguing with these people now. In fact, I'm getting extremely angry. And what do you mean I can't leave the Don't you people know that I am a pastor? I, I need to be in church on Sundays. What, what? You must let me go. No, 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 no. In fact, if you don't calm down, we're going to put you in a straitjacket and put you in one of those little rooms over there. Okay, okay. Backed off. Don't know what to do with myself. I go back to my room. Each room had showers. I decide I'm going to take a shower. Calm down. I get in that shower, and while I'm in that shower, I have this moment of clarity. And it was at that moment that I realized that as soon as I leave that hospital, I'm going to do it again. I just knew it. There was no doubt in my mind that, that at the moment I left that hospital, I would end up drunk. And I didn't want that anymore. And so at that time, I decided that I would pray to this God that I didn't understand. Um, And it was a pretty simple prayer. I just asked God to save me from myself. That's it. And uh, after I said that prayer, I had a good cry. And I wish I could say that that was like some burning bush experience, but it wasn't. You know, skies didn't open. And, uh, the water felt good, but <laughs> <laughs> skies didn't open. The angels didn't sing. Um, I had a good cry, and I got out of the shower, and I did not know what to do after that. And they had given me this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Not this particular book, but they gave me the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and... I didn't know what to do, but something inside of me said, open up the book, man. So I opened up the book, and I opened it up to the forward to the first edition. And I read the first two sentences. And the first two sentences say, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I read those words, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and I could identify like I had, I never identified ever. Those words, hopeless state of mind and body. I, man, I understood that at that point. And then the word recovered from that gave me so much hope. Um, I thought to myself, I can do it. I can do it. And then the next line says, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered 
is the main purpose of this book. And the words precisely how we have recovered are in italics, which, as we all know, it's important. Draw your eyes to it. Stop. Consider it. Think about that. Meditate on that, maybe, if, if you might. Um, and so I did. And, and, you know, I thought to myself, it doesn't say to show other alcoholics kind of how we've done it. It doesn't say to show other alcoholics what we did and then you figure it out yourself. It doesn't say take what you want, leave, leave the rest. It doesn't say any of that. It says precisely how we have recovered. And I thought to myself, I surrender. I am just going to do what they tell me to do now. And uh, I got out of that hospital on a Tuesday. Um, they brought AA meetings in, and one of the things they said in those meetings, which I had heard many times before, but one of the things they said was, when you leave here, go straight to a meeting. Don't go home. Don't go to work. Don't try to figure out all your problems and all that stuff. Go straight to a meeting. So I asked the staff if I could hang around because in the meeting list that I had showed a meeting at 6 o'clock in my neighborhood, which happened to be the Down Under group, 6 o'clock that night. And I thought they were, they were going to let me out in the morning. I thought if I leave in the morning, I'll be drunk by the time that 6 o'clock meeting comes. And I didn't want to get drunk. So I said, can I stick around? And they said, yes. So I stuck around, and then I got a ride to Goodyear. I get to the Down Under about 15 minutes before the meeting starts. There's about five or six people that are there, and all those five or six people, I'm glad to say, are still there today, which is a testament to how well the program works. Um, I'd like to say it's a testament to how great the Down Under group is. I think it's the, great, the best home group in the world because it's my home group. But I know in my heart it's just AA because I've been to meetings all over the country. Um, you know, I do what they say we shouldn't do. I go to whoopee parties and I go on cruises and, um, you know, my wife and I go out and listen to live music and bars. And, uh, and I can do all of those things today because I have had a spiritual awakening. I've worked these steps. I've had that, that psychic change. Um, alcohol will always be a uh, problematic solution if I choose it to be. But alcohol is not the problem. The problem is me. The problem is my thinking. Um, and so I haven't sworn off the alcohol. I respect it. But I'm living my life today. And uh, I enjoy life. And, and, you know, I don't think there's many places we can go without alcohol being around. So the book tells me that if I can't be around it, I'm still, I still have an alcoholic mind. Well, I know that not to be the case. Um, I've had a spiritual awakening. Um, so <clears throat> I, I walk in that room, and a uh, lady named Kathy, she was in a wheelchair. Some of you probably remember her. Um, she was greeting people at the door. And uh, says, you know, hi, hi. Uh, what's your name? I'm Aaron. Uh, okay. Um, I go, I just got out of the hospital. Oh, my God, come on in. Come on in, have a seat. Let me introduce you to people. Okay. So she introduced me to people around the room. And um, uh, I said those people are still, yeah, I did say that. They're, they're still around. Uh, she introduced me to the people around the room, and there was something about them that I recognized I couldn't identify with it just yet, but I recognized it. They all had a, a genuine sense of joy 
You could see it in their eyes. They had like this happiness thing about them, this glow about them. And I couldn't identify with it because I didn't know what it felt like to be joyous, you know. I didn't know what it felt like to be free yet. But I knew that I wanted that. I knew that I wanted that. And um, so I, I made another decision at that point that I, I'm gonna, this is going to be my group. And I'm going to do what these people tell me to do. And so I have been doing what they've told me to do for the last eight years now. And it's worked. I haven't found it necessary to take a drink. Um, I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It has saved my life. The Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous has saved my life. Um, one without the other, I'll be dead. I need them both. And they're two different things to me. Um, the, my, you know, our coins say unity, service, recovery. Um, and it's that equilateral triangle. So if I don't, if I let up on any one of those things, I'm putting myself at risk. And so I try to do those things daily. Uh, things that, that are along those principles, I should say, daily, you know. I, I made a decision or a commitment to myself early on that I would go to no less than three meetings a week. If I go to less than three meetings, there's something wrong. And I've kept that commitment. Um, I made a commitment that I would talk with my sponsor regularly. And I've kept that commitment. Um, I got I to tell you how I got my sponsor. Um, because... In my mind, we're like totally different. I don't know if any of you guys know Fitz, but he's this big, fat dude from Jersey. <laughs> love that guy. Love him. He's the first man that I've ever told I love you, and it wasn't like, yeah, I love you, dude. I love you, man. It's like, I love you. You know? It's the first guy ever. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's pretty awesome to me. Um, I got him because I was in that men's, that Goodale men's group one morning, and um, it's a round-robin meeting, and it came around to me, and uh, I shared that, um, that I had a sponsor, but it wasn't working out, and I need, I need a sponsor. I need somebody to take me through the steps. If anybody's willing, just come to me after the meeting, and let's talk. Two people came up to me after the meeting, Tom Carlson and uh, Fitz. And Tom uh, gave me his number, told me to call him, and then Fitz took my number, and then he called me. Later that day. And when he called me, we talked, and I just thought, wow, this guy, like, called me because he wants to help me. I'm, you know, okay, will you be my sponsor? Absolutely, that's why I called you. Um, he's shown me that that's how I go after uh, working with others today, that I take the initiative. I don't wait for them to come to me for help. I go to people um, in, in, in the meetings, in the fellowship. I take meetings to detoxes. I do Thunderbird Hospital every other Sunday. Um, I do uh, lots of service work um, in the fellowship. Right now, I'm the group service chair for my for my home group. But I've chaired meetings. I've been. Uh, I've done coffee. I've uh, done intergroup rep, and um, not done GSR yet. That'll probably be the next one. I don't know. I'm just willing to serve because it's, 
Um, well, I'll just put it this way. Bill says in his story, he says that, uh, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, failed to, to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. So I take that to heart. You know, um, Unity, I stay with the fellowship. Service, I, I, I try to get out of myself and give of myself as much. Self-sacrifice as much as I can. Um, and it ain't easy because I'm still self-centered. You know, but it's it's better. It's better than it used to be. Um, and then uh, recovery. I, I work these steps. I, I I practice these principles in all my affairs. I, I'm going to say this, and then I'll and then I'll stop. Um, working the steps. There was a point at a at around three years sober, where I had already gone through all the steps with Fitz, and um, <clears throat> I was just kind of coasting along, and. Uh, I, I didn't quite understand that steps 10, 11, and 12 need to be, those are like the growth steps. Those, they, they, we call them maintenance steps, but my experience right now is that that's, that's where I'm growing. I, I get a lot of growth through those steps. Um, and, and I didn't quite understand that I need to be doing those daily, and that in doing those, I'm actually working the others, um, if you think about it. Um, and, and so I was kind of going on autopilot for a while, which we tend to do, I think. And um, at, at some point, and in fact, it was during the summer, which at, um, in what I do for a living, the summertime is like the busiest time of the year. And so I can end up working like seven days a week, 14, 16-hour days, um, which, you know, even if I'm spiritually fit, is going to make me a little, just a little bit cranky, you know, just a little bit. Just a little. Um, Rich and I have seen each other out in the field, right? We've had the opportunity to talk with each other and go, man, I'm having a hard day today. I'm about to kill somebody. <laughs> um, so it was during the summertime. I was not working the 10th, 11th, and 12th step regularly. And I, I got to a point, you know, I'm working all these hours. Still finding time to get to meetings, you know, and do service work. But the recovery part was kind of missing. And I found myself restless, irritable, and discontent again. And it's amazing that I did not drink. I think if I'd have went much longer, I would have been drunk. I would have been drunk, and I don't know that I would have made it back. I think that would have been enough for me to say, this is never going to happen. I'm, you know, I've been working this program, and yet I got drunk again, even though I wasn't in my mind. You know, um, Thank God I'm sitting in a meeting, and, and uh, uh, Vicky shared something that had nothing to do with what gave me the aha, but she shared something. It might have been a word she said or something, but I just I like I had an aha moment. Wait, oh, what? I'm not doing step 10 regularly. So I went and talked to my sponsor about it, and, uh, and, and he helped me to figure out how to work that into my daily routine. I think we all kind of do it a little differently. Um, and I started working step 10 regularly, and I started doing that step 11 nighttime inventory regularly not every day but regularly and I started doing that upon awakening considering 
and meditating on, on the day ahead and asking God to help me to be useful and use me in whatever way you can uh, or will. And um, to, to, I started asking God to divorce my mind from self-seeking motives and, and um, help me not to be fearful and, uh, and, and to be honest. Um, I'm not talking about cash register honesty. I'm talking about honest with myself. Because cash reservoir, look, if, if I buy something in the store and they don't charge me the right price and I make out, I am not taking it back to give them the money. I'm like, hey, I made out. That's good. <laughs> um, I don't steal, but anyway. Um, so I, I started doing those inventories regularly and, and praying and meditating regularly. And when I talk about meditating, I don't mean um, clearing my mind in some transcendental type of meditation. I mean focusing on uh, the self-reflection and, and learning through that self-reflection what to turn over to my higher power and ask him to help me with. Um, and then asking him to help me to be, again, helpful and useful. There's a definition of recovery that I really like, and it's, and it's, it's to be restored from loss. Uh, no, I'm sorry, saved from loss and restored to usefulness. You know, I love that definition, so I run with that. Um, so that was around three years and, and I've been doing that regularly since and I've seen all of this growth you know do I still get upset do I still carry resentments do I still make a lot of mistakes all the time all the time um, but this program teaches me what to do to deal with those and, and oddly enough everything in this book that the program teaches me teaches me to turn it over to God in some kind of way and, and to uh, do that most often by working with other people. It's just kind of weird. How, how, I don't understand how that works, but it does work. It works. Uh, I think I'm a testimony to it because this, this black kid from Harlem who couldn't identify with these six white dude, older white dudes uh, at his first meeting um, today now considers himself an old white guy. And, um, <laughs> And, and I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I, I think I'm out of time. So thanks for listening to my story, and uh, thanks for having me here, guys. Thank you. Thank you.